Hey guys, welcome to episode 182 of the podcast with my marvelous guest, Jessica Ogilvie. Guys, I gotta skip past shoutouts and get right into the episode because I am sorry to say I'm recording this while suffering from food poisoning. So the chances of me barfing while recording this become infinitely smaller if I keep it short and sweet. Uh, I hope everybody's doing great. Um, I guess I don't know if you're going to be getting a Christmas episode from me since a lot of the Nerdist podcasts uh, take that week off. But um, just in case, uh, if you do celebrate the holidays, um, please know that I'm wishing you well. And uh, maybe there'll be a surprise for me next week anyway. Um, Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Now entering Nerdist.com. Now, what have you prepared to talk about everything? Anything really was just like you looking on the internet, reading yeah. any old journals. Like just, I just literally prepared, literally read every book in everything. the house. Just everything. Just Good all of the work. internet. Thank you. I should let you conduct this uh, interview because you might be better equipped to know what to talk about than I, I at this all, point. I know all of the things. You know all of it. There are to know. You know all of it. Let's talk about ornithology <laughs> for a moment. I don't even I think know. that's the, st- is that the study of birds. I was going to say that. Feels like it. Yeah, I think I was going to say birds. That's what came to my mind. Yeah, okay. So right. there's a connection there for both of us. Yeah. So it exists. So we're basically scientists. We do, is much. what I, we're getting around you to. Know, I yeah. don't want to say it. But, yeah. Okay. Did you, um, I, I hate to jump right into it, but that really does beg the question. Did you have, did you enjoy kind of sciencey stuff when you were in school? Was that, because for me, that was the in-between. It was sort of the in-between. It was like the, the, I would say the gateway drug into math, but I never got that far. I never appreciated math, but at least science, that was sort of the, Uh, as close to math as I really felt passionate about. Interesting. For me, it was the opposite. I was, I hated science and I was terrible at science. Um, I, but I was really good at math and I loved it. It was really satisfying for me, but no, science was never my thing. I, my I really sci- like I really stepped away from science in seventh grade because we had to di- start dissections. Yeah, so, I think I didn't do that till freshman year. Weirdly, yeah, it, I don't know if that like what the right age, you know <laughs> what's the right age to have sex? What's the right age to kill a frog? What's the right? I guess you don't kill the frog. No, <laughs> it's not like you hit the frog over the head and then start gutting it up. Is I mean, do they still do that? It feels like something that I I would it bet you think, but so? that's a great question. Yeah. Seems like maybe in in um, like the middle of the country, maybe still. Yeah. But it, uh, as far as like coastals go, I feel like that could easily be like. You're nope. probably right. I remember. I definitely remember dissecting a frog. I mm-hmm. don't remember feeling great about it. Right. I also remember the biology was first period, and anything, as I've said on the podcast before, that was first period suffered dramatically, unless it was rad. Yeah. I yeah. One. I can think of one first period class that I actually wanted to show up for. Yeah. And that's it. I think uh, I don't even remember. Well, we always had homeroom first. Yeah, and God, then did I have homeroom in high school? I think my homeroom. Sure. I think for us, homeroom was English. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and then you jumped to another. I think so. Huh. Well, well wait. Because no. what's home, what do you do at homeroom? I remember from junior high, it just felt like you fucked around for whatever 15 20 minutes yeah 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 i think in junior okay well junior high what does that achieve i don't know it's like mostly roll call i feel like yeah like are you present Uh uh-huh 
go ahead. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that checks on. out. You are the person that you say you are. But then you could just ditch some other class if it's not, you know, a continuous yeah, class anyway. Totally. So what's the point? I don't know. It's, it's just like get it together time. Guys, like, get it to fucking together. Get your shit together. Yeah. Like get your life together. Yeah. You little fuck up and like <laughs> carry on. I, that so might be weird. what it is. But actually, I don't think in high school I, I went to it. Well, I went to a tiny tiny high school so we didn't have like that building itself was a miniature pretty much <laughs> i went to a very small it fit in my pocket uh-huh. I just darling i do love it. small things um uh, yeah what how where was it uh it was out, right outside of boston oh okay and mm-hmm. w- was it all girls or was it co-ed well no it was um actually all girls until my year so we were the oh. first co-ed year oh and didn't we cause some problems i bet <laughs> yeah yeah it That's was interesting a, it was it was um but it was a very like uh God. well so wait what does that mean because does that mean that the the sophomores juniors and seniors were just still all girls but the freshmen were boys yeah. oh boy yeah it yeah. was it was weird and part of it was because the the headmistress we had a headmistress um her son was my age and so she <laughs> that's what that's often i mean it's always personal right it's always like uh, yeah. total what's the, what's the uh oh god what's the n-word for that nepotism, nepotism thing yeah that's could it. have said so many things that all end up feeling like you want to have sex with dead people but it's, i managed to not say that i'm so glad that's why i didn't say a word (laughs) (laughs) she was a necrophiliac uh she wanted her son to go to the high school all of a sudden like i get a lawsuit Uh in the mail (laughs) um yeah she so he the the lower school was co-ed up through middle school and then it wasn't uh until my year but when her son graduated from eighth grade then they were like well let's integrate the genders of the was that know. something that everyone sort of acknowledged like i mean listen we can all it's her son so yeah pretty much it never like came out in like the annual reports uh-huh. but it was definitely like why i'm glad that you known. were checking those annual reports just to be sure i was i was well aware <laughs> child yeah hated schools. science loved reports that's right I yeah was like i know these schools financials inside that's right <laughs> yeah i remember dissecting what i was gonna say is i remember dissecting a worm at some point a worm and i feel like there wasn't a lot there <laughs> I remember being like, this is the worm. Uh-huh. This is its little poop shoot. Oh, yeah. This is some worm poop. Uh-huh. And you got an A. And good job. I mean, honestly, that's what I remember about it. it that seems actually... I'm not sure though, I learned anything from that. It seems harder to dissect a worm because it's so small. Yeah. Like, how did you even... Did you have to pin it? Did you yeah, pin it? we each, definitely pinned it. You pinned each end. Yeah. Yeah. I like the sort of... I mean, I for sure didn't have... You know, and there's nothing particularly psychotic or serial killery about having an interest, I think, in dissecting something like that, unless you're killing a cat and doing that. Right. Yeah. But I didn't respond to the like, life is fascinating and this is this, but I do think I enjoyed the precision of some of that stuff. And like, maybe the like same thing with chemistry sort of because I was never a particularly crafty or artistic, like physically artistic person. Mm -hmm. And I think that that felt like a way of doing something where the expectation wasn't that it'd be beautiful or super creative, but it could still right. be a craft of some kind. I've never thought about it that way before, but I'm thinking about it now as I think about that worm pin. Yeah. Like you pin it. Do you think you could have been like a surgeon in a different life? Oh God. So much would have to be different. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. Can you, I mean, it, cause, but that's like, seems like the track for that. Yeah. Like if you're I guess a kid so. who likes that. Yeah. 
you know, you you could be like, oh, like this is so precise. And yeah, so, you know, like that could have been the launch. Until point. I just start having anxiety attacks at the, <laughs> the the pressure of what that really comes to mean when there's any stakes at yeah. all, life and death. Yeah. And you said that you enjoyed um, math, so it was satisfying because there was sort of an answer that you came to that felt complete in some way. Mm, I say I, this because, guys, uh, for those of you who don't know, Jessica is a writer, so mm. it's not necessarily you didn't become someone who's using math on a regular basis and I'm always interested in kind of where that stuff bubbles up and yeah um I think that actually I I, I think part of it was that I liked it because I was good at it you know how when you're sure younger oh I think probably any age but yeah um uh, yeah I, I liked it I think I liked the challenge of it actually because I was in um I started being in like you know more advanced placement classes and stuff and in math and then I, I just remember just liking to fit like the process of figuring it out, like mm-hmm. the process of like how just the challenge of working through the numbers and I don't know, geometry springs to mind. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember it now, mm-hmm. but I just remember really enjoying geometry and, and figuring out the angles and some, you know, something about it was very satisfying to me. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of people I know who are, you know, lean, I mean, we all know this who lean into the kind of, you know, language arts don't necessarily have that relationship to math. And I'm, I'm envious of that because I wanted to have that satisfaction about it. Yeah. And instead I just felt impatience. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I was actually always, I wish I liked science more because I think it's so fascinating and so relevant and you know, I, but I always just sort of checked out. So (laughs) I was like, I'm I'm terrible at this. I don't understand it. So did you do poorly in those classes or did you find a way to kind of get through and still get good overall grades? Um, I think I found a way to get through. I mean, I, you know, like I said, my school was so small that it we didn't – I think we had grading systems, but nobody was failing out. I mean, my classes were – my graduating class was 22 people. Oh, so wow. It was so like, how – so you, were your classes about 20 people or were they even smaller we, than that? Yeah, we were – it what as we got through school we were down we used to have classes that were like five people wow yeah that's pretty great it was really really great yeah, yeah. so there was no really like nobody was you know getting left through nobody was slipping through the cracks when you went to college were you going to a college where suddenly there were big lecture halls uh, yes. and was that a crazy transition i wanted that well i went to i, I went to nyu <laughs> i went as big as i possibly you really could did, yeah I, yeah i i i really wanted that i um i I, I liked my high school a lot, but I wanted just a totally different experience. Yeah. So I actually, my freshman year, I um, I went to a smaller school in New Jersey, but by October of my freshman year, I had already applied to transfer. And I was like, I just want as many people around as I possibly yeah. can have. So did you have that experience where it sort of felt like you've, you knew everyone, you had gone to school with everyone. It's very insular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In high school. You yeah. Mean? Yeah. Very much so. I mean, we were... It was very intimate because <laughs> yeah. we, we knew uh, we knew each other's families. We knew, you know, each uh, we just we knew each other so well. And um, and I liked it and I thrived in it at, at, by the end. Um, but it was I felt a little bit pendant. And I also had this sort of like s- sneaking suspicion. And it's hard to say if this is something I'm projecting as an adult. But I think I knew on some level that. It's one thing. It's like the big, big fish, small pond. It's one thing to be good at something when you're in such a tiny environment. It's another thing when you're really, you know, out with everybody else in the world. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. What, um, what were, what were your friendships like? It, was because it's such a small class. Were there kind of cliques still, or was everyone just sort of? 
um, all part of a, a friend group. And if so, within that, you know, those things that matter so much when you're younger and still people are judged by what they look like on the outside as adults. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this sort of idea of like, I listen to this kind of music. I dress this way. I do this. Was there diversity in such a small class? Um, yeah. You know, I think that there was to a certain extent, but you know what I, I will say now that you, now that you asked me that, the nice thing about it was we, um, we all liked each other still. Like we knew we there. So there was, a, there was that diversity. Um, I don't think it was quite as pronounced as it is in a big school where you actually have like, you know, the, the jocks and the mm-hmm. goths and the, you know, um, and so forth. But, uh, we, there was very, there was I, I liked everyone. There was a, I really re- respected and appreciated mm-hmm. everybody because I had to get to know them. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. 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 And so I had no choice. I couldn't be prejudiced against them. Yeah. I couldn't make things up about them. Yeah. I couldn't because I knew them. So yeah. it was like, you know, I wasn't a jock, but I, all of the, you know, the guys who played basketball and stuff, like I was they friends weren't, with they, them. You, they, were, they weren't defined by that the way you sometimes are when you're seeing someone from a distance and that's really all you know about them. Was there, mm-hmm. um, was there ethnic diversity? Yeah, there was, there that's was, cool. yeah, there was actually a lot of ethnic diversity. Um, and I, you know, I don't know, be interesting to look into that, but I don't know if it was deliberate on their part or not, but it was actually, you would think, you would think that would not be the case. Yeah. Um, but no, it was very diverse. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have an older brother. Did he go to the same school? Wait, he did couldn't have because no, he, no. Couldn't <laughs> have gone. he went to a uh, public school actually. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. What yeah. was, what was the difference for that decision stuff? Um, I was, I, and were you living in a small town outside of Boston or was this? So yeah, was that was that town feeding into that small school that you went to? No, not really. I lived, um, about 15 minutes outside of Boston. So we were really in like the, regular old suburbs. So, yeah. um, pretty like normal sized town. No, I, I was, um, I got in a lot of trouble in middle school. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I was, uh, very, I went through a pretty like a rough adolescence and, and teenage years. And, uh, um, was your brother the good kid? He was just a quiet kid. Mm. He was a, he's a reader, you know, and he's, you know, he's just, so he was quiet and mm-hmm. he actually, I think he was going to be, my parents kind of sent me to private school. It wasn't like, we're going to provide you. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Somebody's got to keep their eye on you at all times. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so got it. Like that. Got it. Yeah. I want to say my brother deliberately failed the entrance exam. Oh, okay. because he yeah. didn't want to go to private school yeah. and I did not have the wherewithal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he was just, a, he was quiet. What kind so. of trouble you're getting into? Oh gosh. Um, if I you don't mind saying, no, no, I don't mind at all. I, um, I, I got in a lot of trouble. I, it, I was, um, by the end of middle school, I had been arrested for vandalizing the school. Yeah. Uh, and I, that was kind of the final straw. Uh Uh-huh. So yeah, that, that, that was. Were you doing, uh, other things? Like, where did you take drugs and stuff when you were that age? I mean, I certainly had friends who did. I mean, I was 13 when I started, so I'm not saying like, whoa, you know, but. I definitely had friends who were like getting high every day when they were like 12. Right. Which sounds crazy to say now. I know. I but know. when I think about them, I think of them still as being like, like cool. Like I, I think somehow I can't remember anyone further back than high school. So somehow I've made even 12 year olds look like 17 year olds in my mind. Yes. There's a weird thing that happens. No, I know exactly what you mean. And to say, cause I, a lot of my love has started for me when I was 12 and now I'm like 12 is a baby. Yeah. Uh, baby like the age 12 even to say the word you're like 12 but like 
Oh my god! Yeah, it's, it's they're tiny little humans. <laughs> the idea of me lighting—I mean, again, thirteen. The yeah. idea of me lighting even a cigarette, much less the other stuff I was doing. Yeah. If I saw a person my age, I would just be like, L- "Little girl, L- like come, yeah. to my you know, bosom, yeah, please, yeah, yeah." No, I am. Um, I I was. Uh, I was pissed. Doing- I was, well, you know what I, I mean? Like, in, and did you know that then? Or like, what was it? Was it a group of friends who were influencing you? Was it you that was sort of driving that? What, what was that all about? Yeah, I well, So I was, um, I didn't do a lot of drugs, but I do, I have a uh, clinical depression. So I was by that kicked in when I was about 12. Mm. And my parents didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. Sure. Nobody knew. Um, and so that was what was driving it. It wasn't. And I think what happened was I I started sort of presenting various symptoms and stuff. And then because nobody knew what it was, I got more and it fell into it more and more. Um, And so my, I did wind up with a group of friends who were in the same place doing the same kind of stuff and just, just rebellious, Mm -hmm. I think to the outsider. Um, But I, I was driving most of it myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you remember feeling like, was that, did that provide like a rush or give you some sort of, do you, I mean, in a very clinical way, mm-hmm. do you feel like that was a medication for you? Like it was a vent, it was a way to sort of feel better for a while and then need to do it again when that wore off? Yeah, of yeah. De- yeah, definitely. It's, it's funny you say that because, um, no, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And that was, that was a pattern for me for a lot of my life until I, you know, was able to stabilize. Um, but that, yeah, absolutely. I, I vented and it was in some ways a little bit manic, I think. And Mm -hmm. that's something I've always dealt with too. Um, and yeah, I would get a rush from acting out and then I would get extremely depressed and then I would get a rush from acting out. So that was kind of, God, so, I mean, this really cracks open some of the big questions, right? The the capital B big questions about society in general and kind of mental health and stuff, because, you know, I hear that and we can sort of, I mean, not to say, not to laugh it off like we laugh it off, but we can sort of go, oh, you were vandalizing the school. My God, you were 12. Thank God you figured it out and da, da, da. Mm -hmm. But then it's so easy to sort of take that into the, and then there's the 17 year old girl who's an arsonist. And then there's the 25 year old guy Mm -hmm. who like this sort of stuff that gets unresolved that starts to have more and more of a ripple effect on other people's safety. And it just is, and then it gets to the sort of like, Mm -hmm. and when do you get incarcerated? And when can you be not be rehabilitated? And how? fair is that and what do we do and whose responsibility is that and you yeah. know what I mean because it's like if no one had figured that out or if you from from a, a poorer you know family and that just wasn't even there wasn't no one had time to pay attention that kind of attention mm-hmm. you couldn't have gone to like the circumstances under which you were able to develop out of that or come to understand that are so different than someone who doesn't have those opportunities. And so then you have someone who ends up murdering someone when they're 20 and you can trace it back and go, holy shit, this person has had these problems as since being a child in, you know, mm-hmm. a foster home. Yeah. It's so, so fucked up because yeah. it's so hard because you're like, well, that doesn't mean it's okay <clears throat> to kill someone, of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, I never thought about it that way, but it's a really interesting point. And I've never, I try not to take for granted that what I, you know, the, how I went through it because in the, and the, the privilege that I had in dealing with it because like, I was hospitalized later. I had a lot of mental health care in my teens because I developed an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of it was, um, because my parents could afford it. And and, I mean, let's be honest, like that's, and 
a lot of it in in the moment for me I you know you don't realize that when you're going through it um and it's not like my my parents aren't like millionaires there's you know pretty regular like but especially as young people we really just live inside our realities we do yeah yeah and I think you're so right in that like I I learned at a pretty young age how to manage it you know and whether I learned you know to be honest with you it wasn't until about it wasn't until pretty recently that I really got a handle on on this um and you know I got on the correct antidepressant and I you know did that you know therapy and everything Mm -hmm. but I think about why did I know to do that and why did I know how to access those resources as an adult um when I when when my depression came back uh because I I learned that as a Mm -hmm. teenager and um you're totally right I mean it's it's true if I would have you know I I keep saying slipped through the cracks but if I would have not had that kind of support and that kind of privilege available to me. I think you're absolutely right. And you see people who are doing that kind of thing as adults and like it's horrifying. Of course, it's horrifying for society, but uh, it's really, really sad. It's just so sad to think that um, that the services are available because though I just, like now I'm rambling, but like I feel like... no, no. Oh, nothing compared to my rambles oh okay i just i feel like the the people who you know are acting out like that are often in so much pain you know and it's um it's really just i just think it's so sad and so tragic that it that they have to be in that kind of pain and and then everybody has to have that you know it it, like you said it affects society on so many levels um and it just when you really start to think about it like the the way that we direct our funds in this country like if i just sometimes i just want to be like just take all of that money and throw it towards mental health care well yeah you know that's really it's really tough and i think those are sort of the determining factors and and you know for those of us who for those of you who are younger listeners um this is not a particularly uh political podcast really on any level except that i do like to talk about stuff like this even if it's oblique but Mm -hmm. um but I was thinking about that because obviously we have an election coming up mm-hmm. and kind of thinking about politics. And I've joked on the podcast before about, you know, the people who are you know Europeans from small countries who like Sweden, who are like, you have absolutely no idea how conservative all of your politics are, right. you know, yeah. when you think you're so yeah. liberal and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't disagree. And then we have someone like Bernie Sanders running and and um, but then we also have a woman finally running who has a chance and all of those kind of complicated questions that come up for people. Um how would I feel if a very conservative Republican woman was running, you know, would that feel like progress to me or would it scare me? Those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's really, I think that those ideas of sort of how like that's where I, and I don't, and and I don't know how much of it comes from the way I was raised, Mm -hmm. but I, where I struggle and where I, want to better understand conservative ideals is I totally understand the idea of get keep government out of my life sure mm-hmm. now there's some hypocrisy there with certain <laughs> other rights that suddenly become our, the you know the, then it's like no 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 no. but this is like a yeah. cut and dry case so we will get, get involved in this yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but this idea of like it'll all take care of itself if we just let it and we stop like getting in the way Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is just hard from I guess I can't understand how with no social programs and I'm not saying they work the ones we have but I just look at where things start the seeds of things and go I don't know 
how to leave that alone as a person of privilege, not because I came from money, but just because of the color of my skin or sure. what, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and just go, well, I, I just have to trust that, you know, they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I can't, I, it, for me, it isn't like, I just don't want any social programs. I don't want, you know, it, they don't work or yeah. I don't know what that, I'm not saying that's what conservatism is, but I, it's hard for me. Not It is as a bleeding heart liberal. It's really hard now to get in there and muck around and I who know. fucking knows if that's the right thing to do. I know that's the thing. It's like, and nobody knows. It just seems to me like when you put like conservative politics to me, a lot of the time it just seems like we're going to clamp this lid down so hard and everything that we that is we don't like and that we don't want and that the harder we clamp down you know we just need someone to sit on that lid (laughs) and i just don't i Mm. i can't i i disagree with that i think um it reminds me this is a tangent but it reminds me of like i forget that there's a theory a a theory that and I don't want to get too political, so stop me. If you, but there's a theory that like um, more conservative people who lean towards conservatism have this sort of like strong. Str- they they want a leader who's like represents a strong father figure, mm. and that is. And now I can't remember what the liberals want, but like it's it's not it's not that. And I always think about that when when I start like hearing some of these more conservative um, ideas. It is. Because to me, like a health, this is just me. To me, like a healthy society is, um, is the opposite of a lid being clamped down. It's mm-hmm. it's like not only let take the lid off, but but do your best to nurture everyone inside the pot. Mm-hmm. This metaphor is gone. <laughs> <laughs> To really bubble out, bring out those seasonings to see the flavors that are inside this clamped down lid. Now I understand that a crock pot, you want to keep the lid down because that's how the flavors percolate percolate with each other. In this case, you have to let the oxygen in. Well, those flavors are. This is starting to sound like science, so I can't blame you. Cooking is science, and you don't love the sciences. It's all making sense see, now. It's all coming together. You're like, yeah, no, that, well, there but, it is. But I mean, like, look at your point about um, your small community at your school. The more face to face you were with each and every person, the less likely you were to put them into a stereotype. And right. if you found that you didn't like a quality about someone, mm-hmm. that the chances that it was more a real quality of their personality rather than the idea that you had that sort of, oh, this typifies blank. Right. It's just easier. It, like, you have, you're forced to look at it. And these, you know, there was a great This American Life. Um, uh, a story on you know people like th- this sort of idea of like th- getting a gay person in front of every person who right. thought they would vote for property or what you know yeah. to get in front of someone and say here's my story and this is who I am and that that person walks away and it doesn't fade that mm-hmm. it's not like you know three months later they're like nah, now I don't like gay people yeah it, that it's like that that cements and on a deeper level for us and so there is that sense of you know the more segregated our communities are um, the more apt you are to have the sense of well that's their fault totally you know yeah um Mm -hmm. and that's very still very rampant in los angeles you know yeah i think that's very true and i think like the lgbt community did such an incredible job with that with like acknowledging that that's how 
to sort of start to chip away at prejudice is like, yeah, you just like fear. Ignorance breeds fear. So it's like if you don't know anybody who's gay or you don't know anybody who's, you know, of a different ethnicity than you like. And all you see is that what you represented on the news, like you're going to internalize that. But like, I yeah, I I mean, I think um, and I I've I've thought about this lately, too, is this idea that like of how um happy like happier not happier people but so many of these terrible things you hear seem to be uh the result of somebody who has been so oppressed mm. and who has not felt heard mm. and um has and and I just keep thinking how how many times do we have to hear that um oppressing oppressing people and you know shutting them down or trying to have them you know be something that they're not mm-hmm. uh is dangerous before we start to have that affect us on a, in a real way, like in a, in a, not, not in a policy way. Sure. But like also in a day to day way in the way that our society interacts. And sometimes I do think that it takes more female leadership. I, Mm. I really, really, and I, you know, nothing against men, but if you have so much male dominance, the good qualities that women bring to the table, which a lot of times are kind of somewhat softer, um, in a in a positive way, uh, I, I really think that some of that will even out. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, if if there's even a place for that, like that's the next question for me in my brain is sort of what. Let's use Hillary as an example. I don't want to get into what I agree with and what I don't agree mm-hmm. with, what I have problems about, which I do. Sure. But using her as an example, just as the sort of like here's the first say, you know, here's the first woman who gets to do this. How much of her femininity is mm-hmm. even going to be in play at all? Right. How many leaders will it take? Will it be the fifth female president mm-hmm. who finally is safe to sort of have, if in fact there is a sort of this, uh, you know, the way that we're wired or the way that culturally and socially we've just ended up being conditioned as women and men <clears throat> and this, of course, in this country specifically, uh, since that's what we're talking about, um, how much of that even gets to come into play because, right. you know, it's not the, no one, like we sort of make these broad generalizations about all oh, white men have run America, which is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a person by person basis, because every single one has been a white man, we're not the, the general conversation has nothing to do with whether he's a white man. Right. But as soon as it's a woman, right. it becomes like, well, this is now a thing we have to talk about because we know something's going to be different, probably mm-hmm. because she's <laughs> yeah. female, yeah, 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 yeah. and we've never had to deal with that before. Right. And so that becomes such a huge part of the conversation, and it has to be on one level. And on another <laughs> level, it's like, wow, this is. I how interesting, guys, that we're having to talk about this. Yeah. As the same way that people were like, well, Obama couldn't do anything for African-Americans because, God forbid, everyone go, well, he just liked black people. Right? Like, all That's... the bigots in the world would go, we're never electing another black president. Like, totally. Like, the work it takes to be the first of something mm-hmm. and how cramped you probably end up being yeah. and then how disappointing you are to the people who hope that you would create this huge wave of change and how smug people are that you know but that like didn't. did it do and did it like ratchet it up one notch mm-hmm. or people who were like i'll never accept a black president now while this whole side is like he really let us down mm-hmm. is there is there a whole side of people who are like no oh, maybe it wasn't that bad and is that enough yeah and and, and is how sad is that if it's baby steps yeah. or i don't know you know yeah no i know well it's it's funny because i've been doing so i've been doing a lot of writing about women in hollywood lately mm. um and uh, a, a topic perhaps you know something about i don't care uh, for it. 
<laughs> I don't think they should be there. <laughs> Not interested. Yeah. Um, and um, who have you been writing that for? For LA Weekly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the things that um, comes up, and I feel actually very strongly about this, it comes up time and again, is this sort of like back and forth. Well, um, why aren't the women who are in uh, you know who are hot, who are in power positions in Hollywood. You know, helping all the other women. Why aren't they reaching down? And what I found out time and time again is that as the quote unquote token person in the room, you can't. Right. And that's like a. It's not a, a contested fact. It's not up for debate. You can't because you had to. One researcher said to me, he said the women in the room. In you know, let's take like a studio. You know, a, an executive meeting or something the women in the room there maybe are two of them let's say to eight men yeah they had to work so hard to get there and they had to be so smart he's like they're probably smarter than everyone else because they had to not only do the job just as well if not better they also had to make themselves likable right because that's how they they had to be likable to everybody in the room right so they're probably smarter so the the point being you 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 can't because like you said, as soon as, you know, Obama reaches out to the African-American community, it's like, oh, well, there he goes, favoring favoring black people. And it's like the same thing happens for women. It's like you women can't you, once you're in the room and I'm sure you've experienced this. I know I have. You can't be the one to be like waving the red flag. We need to get five more women in here because the eight guys will be like what the hell you right. know like we you're here like is this all we have work to do is right 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 is it going to be about that your, you right. know so um yeah i just i i think it and it it is sad it is very sad but it also speaks to the to the point of um of allies which i think are is really important and it's something we don't think about in uh with gender a lot i think we don't think about the concept of male allies because probably because we're equal in number, but, mm-hmm. um, but every, um, underrepresented or, you know, repress, oppressed group does need allies mm-hmm. in order to get, in order to make their way. Sure. The sure. Fact. So it's funny because it was just the other day I brought or on a different podcast with, with, uh, the wonderful Ingrid Oliver, who's on Dr. Who, um, we were talking about, I was complaining about this. Um, it wasn't a complaint. It was just a, str- it was a struggle. It was mm-hmm. like, I, it just was a sort of, up and coming women in certain workplaces know that you will probably need a male mentor because there won't be enough women doing what you want to do. Right. And that has to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that there, there's nothing wrong with that statement because it's a statement of fact and it's a statement to say, you know, it is what it is and this is why, and it's changing. And that's why as a female, you'll end up with a male mentor. Yeah. And, but yet I still was fussy about it. You oh, know, somehow I still sure. was just like, it still just made me fuss. Oh, what did it, why? But, I'm curious. I don't know. I just think, um, it just, I, I, it, at the time it was, uh, it was a comp, it was sort of like a becoming this, um, this little b- brew of things coming together of a bunch of different stuff that had bothered me. And, mm-hmm. and in that moment I was just like, I was like, yeah. I mean, I guess I yeah. just thought, like, yeah. I guess you. I guess that's. I guess that's still where we are. I don't know. And now I don't feel mad about it, but at the time yeah. I felt really mad. Um, but let me ask you this, and I know I'm jumping all over the place, but sure. um, but as I because we were just talking about this before we started podcasting, which is um, that you've done a lot of writing for Playboy, mm-hmm. and you don't see it uh, necessarily as a you know an anti-female. Um, 
magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that all come to be, if you don't mind my asking? No, you mean as far as the writing and my views on it, or any of it? Just yeah, how did you come to write for them? Do you have? Do you feel you have to defend the fact that you do to people who are like, but that's a magazine with naked women? Yeah. Um, well, this is a topic that I another topic that I feel very strongly about. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to be talking about it. But um, the way I, I started writing for them in 2000. 12, I think, or 13. Um, and I had been doing a sex column for LA Weekly and they, uh, sex, sex and dating relationships and stuff, not a personal column, but, um, they, they contacted me and the editor was like, uh, he's like, surprisingly enough, we, we, uh, don't cover sex enough as much as we should. (laughs) So, um, he's like, you know, would you be interested in coming in a meeting? And we did. and, And that's how I got started with them. But, um, you know, I, I have really strong feelings about this because, um, I think that there's a knee-jerk reaction, um, and and I understand it on a certain level, but to think that the women who are in the magazine, you know, who are posing for the magazine, um, are they don't know what's best for them, mm. and and I, I, I and I may be jumping ahead because I what I you know, there's this thing, there's this reaction of like, well, you're being exploited, um, for heterosexual men's gain. And, you know, you're, you're making, you're somehow contributing to the notion that women are objects and are, you know, dehumanized. And, and my feeling is, um, and again, my very strong feeling is that that, that mentality serves to objectify those women even more because what it does is it removes their autonomy mm. and it removes their voice. And so you're saying you don't know what you're doing and I'm going to tell you what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas those women are people and they, they, they yeah. appear as images in the magazine. Even if they're young, you know, at 18, you can go to, okay, you go to war, you can go to war at 18, you can do a lot <laughs> go to college. Yeah. No. Um, you are considered an adult. And if, if those women are the ones who should be telling us why they did it and whether or not they did, they feel objectified yeah. and that's their choice and that's their voice. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I, I'm actually really, really glad to talk to you about this because that's something that I have, um, I've, n- I haven't had, I've wanted to have like a body worker or a prostitute or a stripper, mm-hmm. um, on the podcast. And so much of the rest of my life is so busy that I don't have, and I don't have like a booker. So I'm not oh, yeah. doing this kind of extensive outreach that I really should be doing, or I should have somebody doing. I just, you know, this is, I don't make any money on this, so I can't hire someone. But, um, but especially early on in the podcast when, you know, I was kind of initially expressing that I have very complicated feelings about pornography because because I I want everything to come from a pure place mm-hmm. of this is why and this is okay and it's you have that autonomy and yet I sort of look at the I I get trapped in the kind of bubble of society where I'm like yeah but I don't know that if we're not it is that so it's 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 part I mean a little bit related to the kind of um, affirmative action thing too it's like very complicated because and everything we we're just talking about about how much of a hand do you play how much guidance do you have mm-hmm. how um pompous is it is it to say i know what's best for this person mm-hmm. because i don't know right, right but i don't know but like i don't know i also don't 
feel necessarily and I think it's getting better but I don't necessarily feel like a woman who does hardcore porn is necessarily coming from a place of like I feel super empowered I feel great about my body I feel Mm -hmm. great about sex I love having sex on camera or it's a living to me in the same way you being accountant is Mm -hmm. um I would love to feel that because hey I think sex is sexy yeah do you know what I mean I'm not a prude and I don't feel like I don't think that the answer to sex is watching other people have sex and not having intimacy in your own life. Like everything pleasurable, mm-hmm. it can be abused. Right, right, right. Alcohol, you can have a glass of wine or you can need wine to feel good mm-hmm. ever, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Sex, same thing. You can get, you know, think it's hot. You can watch it by yourself. You can watch it to blow off steam, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if that's all you're doing and it's preventing you from having other kinds of relationships with other people and things, right. then it's a problem. Yeah. But so I don't think on its face, like I have no problem with the idea of it, but I get... I have complicated feelings about kind of the inception of it and, and what it says. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And it's, I think it's a really valid point. And I think it's a lot of times like any other issue, um, sex work, the arguments for and against it, well, let's call it sex work. You know, Playboy is a very, very soft the form of mildest. <laughs> yeah. Even at the time when I was seeing Playboy, there was penthouse and like yeah. full penetration porn happening to- all over. Yeah. So, you know, but like any other issue, I think sex work, um, people on both sides of it is very, it's, it becomes very black and white in the ma- in the mainstream arguments, you know, like, um, it's either society, pure societal ill or it's 100% liberating for women and, and men. Um, and I think that the, the truth is, is that we don't know because there's no way for us to talk to every sex worker. Um, and in that regard, it is exactly like any other profession. Um, we don't know why people become doctors. Maybe they become doctors because their parents put so much pressure on them and they are miserable and they hate it. Um, and the pressure causes them to go crazy, you know? So there's a lot of, it, it, it's just, there's so, there's a lot of gray and there's a lot of nuance. I think that, you know, where I should go is Amsterdam. You know what I mean? Like I should go to a place to to, where yeah. it's been legal forever <laughs> and then feel like I have a perspective on something yes. where it hasn't been classified or, you know, mm-hmm. villainized or like, it's not as connected to like, were you raped a bunch of times? Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause it, it's, it's uncomfortable. Right. And like, I, and, and truly, you know, unfortunately that might be the case for some people, but is the problem sex work or is the problem that they were raped a bunch of times? Right. So it's like, how do you, you know, if what we're talking about is actual societal ills, like what do we do to prevent those kinds of things. And then if that person wants to do sex work, they can do sex work, you know, or whatever. But I think that, you know, but I, I really, I do feel strongly that like, a lot of it is just because of the sex piece of it. Because mm-hmm. think about, you know, for example, like um, there was hotel workers who organized on the on the West Side, you know, last year or whatever it was. I mean, their living conditions, their working conditions are horrifying sometimes. A lot of a lot of people are actually not a lot. People are trafficked to do agricultural work or trafficked to mm-hmm. do, do cleaning work, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, and we don't, there's nowhere near as much outrage. Right. It's really because of the sex piece of it. And that's so, a great point. You know, I think to me that that's where the complication comes in for people. And how did you, how did you get involved in writing a sex column and dating column? Um, I had been doing a lot of... Um, it, uh, actually kind of like what you were talking about, I had been sort of exploring like 
uh, that that world in LA. Um, I was writing for LAist for a while, and uh, it just became sort of like sort of a beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, uh, that's kind of how I started. And then they had LA Weekly at the time had a, a column called After Dark, which I, which I took over for a friend because mm-hmm. she was doing something else. Um, and I just sort of became really interested in, um, you know, like the, <laughs> I, I, Actually, I'm not even going to call it that with the sex trade in L.A., let's call it. Um, and so like strip clubs and, you know, dungeons and uh, and like sex parties and yeah. things like that. Have you do you know Sandra Doherty? She does. I do. A, she's sex yeah. Nerd. Oh, yeah. 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 She's yeah. a good friend of mine. I, I oh, do. Fun to all she's, yeah. I don't know her well. I've met her at a at a couple of conventions, but I've. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sex. Convention. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love her. I love her. She's awesome. Um. Yeah. And so that kind of stuff, just like exploring the people, talking to the people who do it and I just, and finding out why they do it kind of like what you were talking sure. about. And, um, I just find most people, uh, in that world to be just so open-minded mm-hmm. and so kind and partly because they are, um, ostracized. Mm-hmm. And I think when you experience that, you really, you, you become in a lot of ways, if you don't become angry, you become very compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my experience for with a lot of people like yeah. uh, I, I want to I think I'm going to be able to somehow fold this back in okay. again. I'm now I really am. I'm like time traveling here. But um, when you when so when did you get hospitalized when you were in high school? Um, I was 15. I was just about to turn 16. OK. Mm-hmm. And, and, you, and what was your eating disorder? If you don't mind I had asking. anorexia. OK. Yeah. So you're really thin. A lucky girl. Super thin. Yes. Lucky creature. <laughs> um, a lot of willpower. Amazing. <laughs> uh, and and we're, did, we're, speaking of uh, having the good fortune of being in a place where maybe they could pay for it, did you have to go to someplace that was uh, government funded or could you go to a, a private institution for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I went, cause there's a huge difference. Yes. <laughs> going true. to the state hospital as a troubled teen is a very different experience than going to, you know, a, the, a mental health facility that's privately run. Yeah. It was, a, it was a mental health facility. It was, um, uh, it was like a wing of the, of mm-hmm. a hospital. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a mental health facility. It was an eating disorders unit in, uh, Newton Wellesley hospital mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. Um, and, um, yeah, it was, so it, yeah. And the, and and was was that something that your friends and your friendships like was that something that you kind of came out to them with before even you were hospitalized was that kind of the first place that you were able to acknowledge it was happening to the point where, or did you not acknowledge it and were your parents just like guess what we figured this out you're going in yeah that's pretty much what it, the latter <laughs> my uh-huh. parents figured it out I mean my friends knew because it was it was apparent right. you know I mean I um I lost like 40 pounds in two months or something and I I, I really uh completely almost completely stopped eating I just completely restricted um I didn't per I, I well I purged sometimes but I I was never uh really bulimic but um uh, so my friends knew. Um, I don't think they knew what it was. It was also the '90s, so we didn't have the same language that we had. Um, and uh, and certainly my school knew. But you know, again, as a matter of fact, it's because my school was so small. So we we would take these trips at the beginning of every year, and um, my parents knew that I was losing weight, and it it was actually 
that whole thing of like at first it's like good for you you look great and then it's like what the fuck <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> you know like this is it's a slippery slope it's a slippery slope you know um and so we would take these trips um in the beginning of the year just like bonding school trips and i i didn't eat for about three days and my teachers noticed uh and uh they they told my parents and so my parents started sending me to a psychiatrist and they got me the help that I needed. And then eventually, um, my physical condition deteriorated such that I, I needed to be hospitalized. And yeah. I, I was, I was lucky in that I, I never was like extremely, um, sick physically because right. some people do have to be force fed. And sure. Things. Sure. Um, but I, I did, uh, yeah, I, I, I did get get sick pretty sick and then yeah how did so with something like that where um your whole life has to kind of revolve around managing that right i mean it's just because we're not naturally meant to be able to survive that way then it just becomes your job like you've right. given yourself a full-time job 24 <laughs> 7 your mm-hmm. job is to somehow stay alive yeah. while continuing to lose weight uh-huh. <laughs> it's yes. so grim i don't mean to laugh guys no, no it's it really you really set a challenge for yourself <laughs> um especially as a young person mm-hmm. to just like at the whatever little things were going on you know and all the like hormonal changes that wanted to happen in your body and i'm sure we're like instead we're just starved we're out gonna die yeah. yeah how does um how did you experience stuff like, you know, being attracted to people or, you know, was that, was there time or room for any of that? Or was it just like, I have no drive for that because I'm barely able to sit in this classroom right now? Um, yeah, no, I did. Surprisingly enough, I had a boyfriend throughout this whole thing. Perfect. Yes. It was really great. <laughs> it's really great. He was probably like, what the hell is this 15 year old kid? So, uh, yeah, no, I had a boyfriend. I, I had, um, I would say, uh, when I think when adolescence first hit, I had a pretty strong hormonal reaction to it. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, I was like, let's do this, you know? Well, you know what? And that kind of in a weird way makes sense just in the sense that like, if you are some, if you are somebody who has a different chemistry, mm-hmm. I mean, that is a feeling again, it goes to what we were saying before. It's a feeling that if it feels good or it feels, it drives you forward in some way and it's yeah. different than just feeling nothing yeah. or feeling really bad. Mm-hmm get like i'm sure you were like thank you yes this feeling i'm in totally sign me up yes yes definitely i was like this is like something like and it is it can be you know a manic thing too sure sure um so yeah but it it, that and that tapered and then came back for me again in my late teens and early 20s but when i um as when i was having when i was dealing with the eating disorder i i did still i was still like attracted to i'm i'm heterosexual i was still attracted to boys Mm -hmm. so i was uh i was like yeah well you know it was it certainly waned um because you know everything waned but yeah but that but yeah i that's i think that answers your question how long were you in the hospital um i was in I was inpatient for uh, three weeks, and mm-hmm. then I was outpatient for another month or two. And, and then, how did that? How does that work with school? Um, I was out of school for the first for the first three weeks, and then um, I was. I think I was. They, well, they were so flexible with me. I think I was just in and out of school. Um, I I honestly don't remember, but I I know I was. I think I was in every other day. I think. Mm-hmm. I think. Was there a, d- a different kind of attention paid to you that you either wanted or didn't want? Um, yeah, and I think that that's a really important part of eating disorders that nobody ever talks about. I mean, um, p- 
part of the illness is that you want to remain ill. Um, and it, I don't know whether it, it you know, it, they say that it tends to affect, uh, it tends to affect overachievers. Um, and I think it's funny. I, I, I was watching, have you ever seen the movie um, Thin, the documentary by Lauren Greenfield? No, no. Um, but I, it's one of those things that I go, I should see this and I am afraid of how I'm, it's going to make me feel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to bring this up. I'm going to be curious to know what you think about this. I Because I watched it last night, actually, mm. and it's about, um, it's about, uh, it follows girls and women in an eating disorders unit. And so it was a, pretty much exactly my experience. And, um, I th- I had this thought which is one of the one of the women was like um I she was like I she's like all I want she's like you know you want me to recover and this was a 30 year old woman you want me to recover but I don't want to recover mm. this is the only thing that I want is to be thin the only thing I want is to be good at this I want to be good at this mm. eating disorder and she actually said if, uh, if that means I have to die I will die <sighs> And the thing is that this is the unspoken. I don't know if you've ever like struggled with an eating disorder yourself. Well, I certainly I never did until I moved here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've talked about it on the podcast before. I mean, I certainly know that I it's something I have to keep in check. And I think um, I mean, I don't know a single actress. Mm -hmm. Frankly, I hardly know any women who work in the business at all because executives feel like they need to be thin and beautiful. Mm -hmm. Everybody feels like they need to be as good looking as the whatever the current ideal is which right. at least isn't Callista Flockhart now but right. it's certainly whatever it is there are still women that I see all the time that I'm like there's just no I mean this is not a woman like yeah. you know this is not this is a boy or this is a you know <clears throat> and what would she look like I don't know if that's what she would look like if she weren't an actress like yeah. I can't say that that girl and a lot of it I think it's very telling when you see women age too like there are actresses now really? it's like I saw Rebecca DeMornay she was great mm-hmm. on whatever she was on uh, I can't remember but uh, oh she was in um, uh, the new um, Marvel Jessica Jones oh yeah 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 mm-hmm. and she's like of uh, sort of a she's a little older she's voluptuous you know she's heavier of course our metabolism chains probably also she was like fuck it i don't need to fucking torture myself anymore Mm -hmm. but i was like the way she looks now i I feel like she should have been heavier when she was younger in a healthy way do you know what i'm saying rather than because there are some women who just kind of like i don't know do i think Blythe danner has an eating disorder no i think probably that's part of her metabolism like she's just kind of a thin woman yeah and then you see this other woman you're like you look great and you look great for your age and whatever work you've had done it's it looks good you don't look plastic yep and also i'm comfortable with you having you know hips and breasts and you know yeah so it's that, that's sort of an interesting process to watch too um yeah. but so yeah so i definitely am like i figured out that i you know because i don't have i mean i don't want to bore everyone but, but because i don't have other things that i turn to that are vices mm-hmm. for sure like and also because it feels in defiance of the thing i feel i have to control most right, right it's right, definitely right. like mm-hmm. this is how i have to rigorously do this or i will think about it too much yeah. like if i if i set this set of rules up for myself and I'm comfortable with those rules uh-huh. without being obsessive about it uh-huh. then I don't have to think about it because the last thing I want to do is make that the purpose of my life right right and that's I mean it's very because I I for sure and the only way I can bring it over from when I was a kid and I've said it before is I feel like I'm closest 
to the little kid who binges on sugar, uh-huh. whereas someone else might make it heroin or sex or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't really have sugar in my life anymore because I just mm-hmm. don't want to go down the road of like, oh, I'll just keep eating it until I'm sick and then yeah. I'll hate myself. Right. Yeah. And that's just, I can't do that. You know, I can't, I can't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so for sure I get it, you know, yeah. for sure, for sure I get it. It's so interesting too, from your perspective, because you like, you do, you, you have to, to a certain extent, like monitor it. I mean, I just can't imagine the pressure. Um, and so good for you for like taking, being like yeah. deliberate, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I think, I mean, I, uh, my guess is I could be totally wrong about this, but my guess is some of these women who sort of disappear, mm-hmm. I think when people say they're tired of the Hollywood machine or whatever, mm-hmm. I, I don't I'm not famous enough and I don't work in a world where anyone's ever asked me to lose weight. You know, I've mm-hmm. never been, no one has ever said like, please lose 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. That's not the world I really live in. Mm-hmm. I'm in comedy. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if I didn't get a role, it would have been because they already thought I was too heavy. No one would ask me to be smaller. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? They would just be like, <laughs> yeah. oh, we can, she's just too hippie, whatever. Yeah. And I would never have known that. I would mm-hmm. never be told that. Mm-hmm. I've also never asked my agent to give me that feedback because I would go insane. Right. You know totally. what I mean? So yes. I would just rather think I was great, but I wasn't right for it than yeah. think like, if only I'd shaved off those five so but that and it's still insidious even Mm -hmm. with all that said i think but that idea that there's this unspoken pressure that we put on ourselves part of it becomes like the only way for me to escape this is to make it a non-issue and that is to not do it anymore like i'm not gonna i don't want to be on camera anymore because i'm so tired of thinking about it that i would rather live on a ranch yeah you know what i mean 100 yeah it's like that constant it's constant and it's and it's it is insidious and it is like the, there's no way to like it. And I would imagine, especially for actresses, like you gain five pounds and all of a sudden, like, I mean, literally, that's what people want to talk to you about. You really embrace your curves. You know, you oh, really God, like, yeah, <laughs> like, well, wow. Chris Kirsten Dunst, I apparently gained weight for Fargo. I didn't even realize I was just like, look at her. She's aging. She's not getting work done. I think she looks great. Uh-huh. Like I'm she's a real person. She's fearless. She's doing this. And then I read that she like binged on bread and cheese to get as big as she is in Fargo. Oh my God. And I was like, Oh my God, my heart is broken. Here I was thinking like, she's great. Look at her. And like, she's not real thin. And it's like, Oh, it was a character choice that she had to gain a bunch of weight for Fargo. Yeah. A bunch of weight. Same thing with Renee Zellweger. I was like, what are you talking about? She gained a bunch of weight for Bridget Jones Diary. She's adorable. Yeah. She looks great. What is she? Oh my God. I haven't been paying attention to what she looked like before this, apparently because (laughs) I didn't realize she was chubby. She was, was she non-existent before Jesus. this? Like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, well, this is, so this is what I was thinking about after I watched that movie. And I'm so curious. I'm, you're, you're the first person I'm running this by. So I'm yeah. very curious to know what Good timing, good timing. Okay. Yes. So, um, so this was, so the whole thing, this woman was like, this is the only thing I want. It's the only thing I want. And I thought to myself, okay, this is a disease that tends to really take hold in women, like I said, who are overachievers, mm. um, who are, Often, um, well, yeah, we'll call them overachievers type A, often like driven and ambitious. So that's why I was curious if, if you had ever, sure, you know, sure. um, and what I, what I thought was like, and they want, you know, people are asking themselves like, why does this affect women, you know, so much more than it affects men? If it's a mental illness, why does it, um, manifest in this way? And I listening to this woman and I'm thinking like, is it, is it because, as women, we are not really allowed to want anything mm. other than to be attractive to men. But then that's what's scary because then we go back to the Playboy image thing, right? Yeah. Because then you're like, well, fuck, but 
that's a place where, and mind you, those women are particularly thin. Yeah. In my memory, anyway, mm-hmm. I haven't really looked at Playboy since I was, you know, a horny kid in the 80s. Right, right. right. But I mean, yeah. like, I don't remember feeling like these women, they, to me, looked more like what we think men like about women, which isn't to say they don't all need them to be super skinny. They don't all need them to be overweight. They don't all need them to have big boobs. They don't all need them to have, and I'm speaking purely of heterosexuality. Sure. But let's just say any any person of any gender who's attracted to the female form. Uh-huh. That there isn't one type that you're attracted to. Right. That's not how life works. That's not how right. genetics works. That's just not how it is. Right. And I do feel like, do I feel like there's a bunch of diversity in the pictures I saw? Not really, but yeah. I at least don't feel that people were emaciated. Yeah. Um, but then it's like, well, what images am I seeing? Like how much of that gets in there and and how much of that do I feel like I'm supposed to, to you know, I'm supposed to look like that. Yeah. Well, I... It's very I, tricky. It is tricky. And I think that it's it's more about... Um, expanding like to me it's more about expanding the options than Mm -hmm. narrowing them because like for me as far as I'm concerned and this kind of goes back to like talking to the sex workers and stuff you know for all I know Miss April that's what that's the only thing she's ever wanted to do and so it's not about taking that option Mm -hmm. away it's about saying like okay well then as a society like we can't make this the only thing that women can do it has to be that you know and again like going back to the hollywood stuff like it's on my mind because i've been doing sure is there are really um as you well know uh systematic ways that women are kept out um and so a lot of it is about to me like if there's a type A girl, a little ambitious little go-getter, how do we make it so that in her mind there's no there's no barrier to entry to anything? Right. And so what she's not she doesn't internalize and obsess about the the, the only thing I really can do is is um, be skinny because that's what everybody wants from me. Like you, from a very very young age, how do we make little girls think in the way that I I. I feel, I think many little boys think like, what do I like to do? What do I want to do? What could it be? Maybe I want to, maybe I want to direct. Maybe I want to be a doctor. Maybe I want to be an astronaut, you know? And that that's the way to like, that, that, that's, that's a much it's a health it's such a healthier way to channel that ambition. And I think if you have the brain chemistry to, you know, to, to succumb to something like an eating disorder, if your ambition gets twisted and you start obsessing about food and your weight, because that's what society tells you to obsess about and to, and not, not to obsess about, but to, um, uh, to work towards, like mm-hmm. to aspire to, you're going to get that really twisted and you are at risk to develop an eating disorder. Whereas if you could channel that ambition into anything, mm. you know, anything at all, right. then maybe you wouldn't maybe we would see that a little bit less mm-hmm. so i don't know that was what i was thinking and i'm curious to know what you think no i think that's great and i think that um i'll just uh i can't believe how long i've been talking to you and i have barely even got to, i do this mash game at the end which oh, by yeah. the way it's it's basically a fantasy world so hilariously one of my topics is always a food that's bad for you that you can uh. have in perpetuity with zero ramifications because that to me is part of this fantasy world that's like see? do you know what i mean yes. it's like oh but you know what everyone has that like that's true every guy i've ever put like everyone's like i know i can't eat a million french fries right, that's right. a pleasure point for me yeah. i'm not gonna draw and again there's that it's 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 scary because it is more permissive than me saying like 
well, you know what? This is the same thing. It's like you're in a relationship, but you can have sex with or have this alternate universe. I mean, right. this is yes. this is fantasy right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, I think that for me, it's like it can live here because you're not obsessing it over it that's all a, day long. Yeah, you know? yeah. But um, but that is sort of funny. <laughs> um, but uh, what I was going to say is. Um, uh, to quote my wonderful trainer, Tom Dieters, who actually has his own podcast on Nerdist now, um, called pro you, uh, he is awesome. And I don't work with him as much anymore because I got so into sort of doing like outside, like sports stuff rather Mm -hmm. than personal training, but his voice still like rings in my ears a lot. And, um, and, what he always says to people who come in and have these, this is like getting your expectations realistic about mm-hmm. what your goals are and why you want to yeah. work out and why it's important and all that. And having someone be like, I want six pack abs, you know, that he's awesome about saying, cool, totally possible. We can do that. You're going to get real bad at like five other things in your life because mm-hmm. those are going to go away because mm-hmm. your goal is going to be that you have those abs. Mm-hmm. You have to work real hard. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Aniston, I just read, works out for 90 minutes every day. How? That's- like that's, and that was just dropped off as like, this is what I like to eat in the morning. I work out for 90 minutes. So I have da da da. And I was like, 90 minutes of a workout rigorously every morning? That's a long that's- time a job yeah that's a do you job. know what i mean mm-hmm. and that's also a person mm-hmm. who has the money to like and then i get a massage and then i read the script and mm-hmm. then i did it mm-hmm. but you know he's always like figure out why it's important if it's important because you need to shoot something and you're going to be in bathing suit and you want to feel great about how you looked mm-hmm. let's spend a month two months working hard mm-hmm. but you will be depriving yourself you will be grumpy mm-hmm. you will be not eating enough for mm-hmm. six months later i don't want you still doing this mm-hmm. because this is the goal that the end goal and then once you got that but if you're going to make your job being a swimsuit model, that's what your life's going to look like. Right. So right, right. that it's all about kind of going, well, what if I just want to have what, Hey, I want to lose a little tummy fat. Great. Mm-hmm. Then we'll start. You'll be doing cardio four times a week. You'll be doing this. We got that. You'll feel better. You'll lose weight and you'll still have time to focus on other things. If right. you have an eating disorder, that's why I said, yeah, you will cease being good at anything else. Cause right. you're going to be fucking awesome. Right. At, killing yourself yes yes totally and that is see and that's exactly it and that's what happens with that mentality in these clinics and i i you know pe- let me be very clear women are competitive it, it's in a it's a sickness it's not a healthy thinking it's a it's an illness a mental illness but part of it is i will be sicker than you mm-hmm. i will be better at this than you and like this woman said if that means i die like that's then I have to die. It's like that. I mean, that is not, that's a very, very sick, you know, but that's a big part of an eating disorder. And that's, I've never heard anybody address it from a clinical perspective. Um, and I'd be curious to, but, but it, it's, it's a great point. You are all of those other things, all those other wonderful things that these people might be able to accomplish if they would turn that energy, yeah. if, they, if they had the opportunity to turn that energy into a healthy place, is completely lost. It, that's a great point that, that your and trainer And also, makes. like, it goes back to the idea of, by the way, no one should be expected to do this on their own. Right. Like, oh, we should all just be in a place where it's hands off. Totally. And, you know, you're, if you're going to get over it, you need to get over it. Like, why, from a, from a very you know, very clear, very intense point of illness to, uh, you know, 0.001 of that, Mm -hmm. it should always be okay to not know how to do it on your own. Totally. You know, and that's the other problem with that particular type of ambition, right? Is this sort of idea of like, 
I, I couldn't possibly involve someone else. Right. Total, it's you a know? shameful secret. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. This is a, boy. Mm-hmm. This is a, where do I even start? Um, the Smash game. I can't believe I just went from that to like, okay, hey. you can have, that is the nature of this podcast. <laughs> it's all over the map. And totally, I am ready for I am game. just going to make it real positive at the end. This is good. I uh, feel good. <laughs> Uh, okay. okay, let me, uh, I'm going to try to, s- I'll sprinkle some uh, slightly headier stuff in here. Okay. Perhaps. Okay. okay. No guarantees. If not, that's fine. Dude. No guarantees. Um, okay. I'm going to start with, uh, well, you know what? Let's start with this. Let's start with, you could have, uh, from any time in history, from any walk of life, um, list three people that it would be awesome if they were sort of mentors to you. You could call them up and say, what do I do about this? Anyone from any, and uh, living or dead. Oh my God. Jeez, uh, that is a great question. Okay, uh, anyone living or dead? What if um, you're like number one, Lady Gaga? Right. <laughs> number two, <laughs> all due respect. All due all respect. respect. Yeah. Uh, Gaga, Gaga, and Gaga. <laughs> um, God, I feel like I have some like messed up ones. Um, you know who I would love to learn from? Yeah, the Matahari. Great. Okay, what a fucking brilliant woman. That's great. not that I want to be a sexual spy, right, right, but I right. really think she's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, also, uh, Joan Didion. Great. Um, because like she had the balls to say some really yeah uh, unpopular things. Yeah. Um, and who else? I feel like I'm missing like a very big mentor or somebody that i i think to i know um, by the way this is the game too it's like eight people will come to your mind oh, okay. after all of this is over and you right. want to call me and go can we re-record that it's all part of math i want to know okay uh let's say bob dylan because i'm i'm let's see yeah bob dylan great mm-hmm. yeah great 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 mm-hmm. okay let's do um three uh movies or books mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. worlds are real. You can go in at your leisure, stay as long as you like. No mm. physical harm will come to you. Mm-hmm. You can pop back out. That's sort of that's sort of Ooh. this place that you can disappear into and hang out with those characters. Cool. Um, okay. Uh, oh, f- nonfiction or fiction? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, all right. Definitely uh, Anais Nin. One Ooh, of which I wish great. I said her the top three. Uh, her diaries, all of them. Great. Um. Also, oh God, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Great. Um, on, I'd probably die, but uh-huh. whatever. <laughs> I said no harm could come to you. Oh, you're safe. oh nice. Yeah, That's definitely that one. Yeah. Um, and also, um, you know what? Uh, Thelma and Louise. Oh God, mm-hmm. those girls. Mm-hmm. I remember feeling like, <clears throat> however old I was when that came out, without even knowing that. I had cared before there was this sort of sense of like, there's something special about this. Right. A girl wrote it. Like there's something happening here. Yeah. What it is in exactly clear. Uh, <laughs> great, 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 great. Okay. Uh, next one is, um, a vacation home anywhere in the world. Three, Ooh, three. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, um, how about the, uh, somewhere in the like hills of the deep south. Great. Lush. Uh, Paris. Great. Um, and um, how about uh, Sweden? Great. Maternity leave. Paid 
Maternity. Um, no. <laughs> they can do it. They're the size of the thimble of that country. They can do it. They're like all five of you. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful. Okay. Um, next one. How do you feel about me doing the category of it's it's bad food for you food? and you can have it? Snap of your fingers. Could be as specific as like the cookie you had once at a place oh, or, yeah, you know, right. or just pizza. Okay. Uh, no, I feel fine about it and I have several. Um, one would be uh, dark chocolate caramels from C's. Oh, oh, God, I love a box of C's. <laughs> right? Boy, I could really just eat that entire box when I, I was a kid. Oh, I, and by kid, I mean like 16. And by kid, I mean now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, could, I could really, I can do some damage uh, at a C's. Well, that's the problem is once you cut things out that have an effect like that, like if I have one piece of candy now, mm-hmm. I'm like, mm, I don't feel that great. Yeah. Like, no, no, I took it away from myself for reals. <laughs> like like I, it's an actual thing now. I'd have to like work back up a tolerance. Which speaking of, you know, if you're going to work towards something and get bad at five other things, I think eating C's candy should be probably that's true i am very good at it yeah i gotta get back into I it uh, okay great dark chocolate caramel dark chocolate great caramel. great great um definitely like uh, i need to ask really quick do you yeah. nibble off the side because that uh, what mm. i remember is they're just hard enough that mm-hmm. the the side chocolate kind of cracks off and then you can eat it yep yeah a really good question um not usually <laughs> not usually <laughs> to me it lasts longer I'm if really i good. if i deconstruct it <laughs> <laughs> Can't That's do it with the, the top. That, that, Can do it with the sides. Dissection. P- p- there it is. Back. There it is. My little layer. Here's my little wall of chocolate that I have just deconstructed and set aside. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, definitely a like heavy cheesy pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, I love cheese. And I really went to town on the gluten cheese, uh, gluten free cheese pizza last night from oh, Lucifer's. Really? Ooh, delightful. That is good to know. I probably am eating that today. Oh, but so you told me about so it. So good. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get that. Um, and then uh, bagels, bagels and cream cheese. Oh God, I haven't had a bagel, and I love them. They're in I, I, since. I mean, I guess probably in my twenties, I was still eating them because I would eat every day at Noah's Bagels when I was, oh. worked at Pottery Barn. Yeah. Oh, po- I worked at Pottery Barn. You did? Yes. Which Pottery Barn? It, <laughs> it's hundreds. It's so weird. Upon hundreds. In I was. It was in Boston. Okay, mine it was in, in San Francisco. Uh, it was a flagship store. Oh. <laughs> Damn girl. You just threw her off. <laughs> we would get a lot of business from corporate. It is where visual merchandising would come up with their great ideas. That's fucking impressive. <laughs> Mine was not standard in a very upscale mall. Okay, okay to my yeah, credit. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, not a flagship. Well, Damn. San Francisco. Okay. Baby. All right. Yeah. You all right. <laughs> I'm sure you could have worked at a flagship Boston market. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure what's based in Boston. I don't know either. Uh, but thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh wonderful. <laughs> Okay, alternate universe. It could be um, uh, a lover, like a one night stand. It could be sort of alternate universe, husband or wife. It mm. could be uh, uh, whatever, whatever uh, strikes your fancy. And it could be like a fictional character from something, or you know, it could be so and so's role as like you don't want to say Owen Wilson, but you loved his character and blah blah blah. You right, I mean? right, right. Um, who? Good one too. Uh, let's see. I would say. Um, purely physical Brad Pitt and Fight Club. Alrighty. Oh yeah. Uh, at the same by the same token, uh, Angelina Jolie in most things. Yeah. I mean, hard to fuck with, but probably delightful to fuck with. <laughs> um, uh, let's see who else. Um, top three. 
Yeah, they really could have, if they'd wanted to, uh-huh. made and sold a sex tape and never made another movie again and still would have been as rich as they are now. Totally. Like, if not richer. If not richer. Like, nicely done on both of your parts. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Well done there. Um, God, I feel, I, I like this, I feel like I'm forgetting many people, too. I know it's part of the game. Um, let's say uh, a Helmsworth. Any of them. Oh, great. A, Helm, a random yeah. Helmsworth. Great. <laughs> How many are there now? It's like eight, right? It's I feel like they, just, like they keep coming. There's out a lot. Of the, yeah. Oh, another. Okay. Oh, wow. Sure. Still. All right. Yes. Yeah. All look pretty good. Amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's do. Uh, let's do alternate universe. Um, you have sort of a, a ton of money that you've gathered. You sort of. It's the kind of career altruism that mm. few of us have the luxury of doing. Okay. But you have like three foundations mm. that you. You know, three foundations. One of which you end up with that you've um, been responsible for. Oh, okay. Uh, that I make up? Yeah, yeah. Anything. Yeah. Okay. It could be like your version of UNICEF or your version of this, you know, a clinic for girls at blah, blah, blah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's say uh, if I would give like all of my money to Planned Parenthood. Okay. Um, or... Just like the government does. Just kidding. Isn't that... Ni- oh, just... Wait, mm. hold on. Um, or I would give it... Um, or let's say uh, mental health services. Great. To everyone. Everyone. And um, if there was a nonprofit that I could create that would teach young people how to um, individual individualize, individualize, mm-hmm. yeah, like l- like find their best self, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. very young people, yep, 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 I would do that. That's it. That's my number one. I love it because mm-hmm. a lot of other stuff might be resolved if you sort of have a, a, a real sense of. And a confidence in who you are and like are forgiving about your bads and right. celebrating your goods. I love mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do <laughs> let's do uh, TV families. Like you have like you have a TV family that you're oh. like, oh my god, <laughs> it's cool because like I also grew up with like the Keatons or whatever. Oh, like that are like my family? No, like it's your it's your fi- it's your fictional TV family in addition oh. to the family that you have. Okay, uh. <laughs> I don't even know. I think I've done that once before. Some great listener suggested that. Okay, that's really good. Um, uh, Punky Brewster, right? Because I really like actually legitimately wanted to be her sister when I was a kid. Yeah. So there's that one. Great. Um, Modern Family. They seem like they'd be fun. Great. Um, and fictional TV. This is a really good question. Uh, uh, let's see. It could almost be a workplace family too. You know what I mean? It's like those workplace comedies. That's basically a family. Right. That's true. Okay. How about, um, Parks and Rec? Great. That seems like a fun workplace family. Great, 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 Mm -hmm. great, great. Um, okay. Last one. (laughs) God, this is tough. Ooh, knock knock it out of the park for the last one. That's a lot of pressure to put on myself. Uh, let's go. Well, you know what? Let's go with, um, let's do time travel. Let's say okay. future, past, anything. You're, we won't be harmed if there's something that is uh, horrifying, but that there's part of you that feels you need to see for, with your own eyes. Mm. If there's, uh, you know, anything like that, or you just, or it can be as superficial as you just want to go wear a flapper outfit and be in the roaring 20s. Yeah. That's okay. Two, three. Okay. Um, dinosaurs. Okay, I'm sorry. I have to go very dark on this one, but I would like to know about the Holocaust. Uh, listen, I am Jewish, uh, so you know. Uh, uh, I just had a whole conversation about that with Ingrid Oliver, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I also direct you to Jessica Chaffin and Jamie Denbo's episodes, oh. listener, and you, um, because they are both obsessed with the Holocaust as well. Oh, okay, that uh, makes me feel better. No, 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 no. it's something <laughs> yeah. that it, I, I've talked about it so much on the podcast. I feel the same way. I feel like. Um, 
there's a sense of removal that anyone our generation and younger has Mm -hmm. that is like makes it really easy to go like that's an atrocity that I you know it happened but it was very long ago right and you know we Mm -hmm. would never be involved in you know what I mean there's this, this sort of like fictionalization of it that even hearing interviews from survivors, yeah. which we're so lucky yeah. to be in a generation where we still got that. I know, I know. But yeah, fascinated. Yeah, no, I think totally. I would say the same thing. For bet, you know, certainly not because I'd be like on vacation there. Yeah, but, but you just it. It seems like the I can't even like, wrap my mind around it. Like I, you kind of need to see it to not see it to believe it. See it to believe, Obviously, yeah. right, 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 right. But yeah. I can't. I really. Mm-hmm. It's become like cinematic to me or like, you know, I, of course it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I personally have never witnessed anything close Mm -hmm. to what a concentration camp would be like. Right. And it's, and that's including like the deep ghetto. Yeah. Which is probably the closest thing I've seen. It's, and that seems like a, a, yeah. And that would, I, I feel like it's, um, it's like the closest you can come to witnessing like pure evil, like the worst human atrocity. I mean, and as a matter of fact, that's not because it's happening like in, you know, countries around the world now, but like something like that is like, this is the worst atrocity, the worst that humans are capable of. And it's, you kind of like feel like you should know about it, Mm -hmm. like witness it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, yep. And, uh, I would say 1920s Paris, Mm -hmm. you know, or what City I, lights. That's my contribution. City lights, <laughs> City lights everybody. <laughs> totally. Like uh, what I think. Great. Yeah. Yeah. What I think. Uh, what Baz Luhrmann has led me to believe that it was. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. great, great, great. Yeah. And Woody Allen, huh? And Woody that Allen. Was it. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Fantastic. Too. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, tell me. This is just the process by, of elimination. It's okay. not. I'm not good at math like you, so it's very okay. simple. But just <laughs> tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay. I'm gonna pause like this. Mash. this. It will seem as if no time has passed. Okay. To the listener, okay. I'll come back with your 100% guaranteed MASH future. Oh, this is great. Uh, we just did like a mini podcast that we weren't recording. <laughs> just continuing like eight, eight threads. Um, uh, Jessica, I'm very excited for the outcome of uh, your MASH uh, future. Uh, let's see, where do we want to start? Number one... I was going to say it all kind of fits together. I don't, I guess that's not really true, but some of it definitely does. Number one, you have a, a beautiful apartment in Paris present day, nice. but it makes sense that you also have a sort of like doorway. I like to think of it as a doorway in your apartment that mm-hmm. one day you were like, wait a, wait a minute. I don't remember that door. And then you walk through the door and you're in 1920s Paris. Oh, nice. Um, now, listen, how it is that you are able to also jump into Thelma and Louise uh, or, well, I guess you probably have a special Matahari uh, bat phone nice. <laughs> you can pick up. Nice. That's probably just sitting on a little side table next to the door that takes you to 1920s Paris and that's next to the old. poster of Thelma and Louise that you can dive into. Um, no, great. it's on the ground like Mary Poppins chalk drawings. Mm-hmm. Like you can dive in because it's on the ground. If we would just that. put our posters on the ground, we'd be able to step into those worlds, guys. I figured ah. it out. Uh, so all of that being said, Mm -hmm. um, you've also in all of your journeys and all of your adventures still found time to, uh, fund Planned Parenthood. It is a very, very wealthy, uh, but in a positive way organization. Um, and I would say that you celebrate all of these successes, uh, both with your, uh, Parks and Rec family (laughs) and with your, uh, alternate universe husband brad pitt and flight club nice nice good. as you all sit down to a really delicious cheese pizza 
Yeah. yeah. I well, think I just, everything came together very nicely. That's nice. Can I frame that? Can you I take that and frame it? Absolutely <laughs> frame it. Uh, the idea of the MASH game is to not make us wish we had different lives, but to leave us on a positive note of all these things we love. Like, yes. oh my God, I'm so grateful for loving all of these things. Totally. Um, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you for uh, having me. Please uh, help me direct um, listeners to places that they can read your stuff, because mm. I think that's uh, there's obviously archives of it and current stuff coming out and stuff yet to be yes thank you so much um yeah i'm at uh la weekly um la magazine and playboy uh on twitter i am at jessica pauline and you can find most of my stuff there great 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 guys i think you know where to find me it's on this podcast and elsewhere (laughs) uh i'll talk to you next time As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 